Let's go. Welcome back to For Opacity, the podcast. I am your host, Camille Bacon, and I'm joined today by somatic practitioner and witch extraordinaire, Tumi Moloto. I met Tumi almost five years ago when we were both attending college in Western Massachusetts, and we have since developed and cultivated a really sweet co-conspiratorship and friendship and witchhood. Um, today, we're going to go in multiple directions in our conversation, but it will really all be grounded in kind of our shared belief that our most powerful selves can really be unlocked by expanding our capacity to look at our shadows head on. So the shadows being the parts of us that we may be deathly afraid to touch, but paradoxically, um, those parts are exactly where our deepest electricity really lies and can be harnessed. So with that in mind, our conversation will work to kind of demystify this idea of embodiment and presence and spirit and address the shadow sides of all of those things. Um, one of those shadows being our collective orientation towards dissociation. And we're really also going to think about how systems of oppression kind of interlock to enable that experience of dissociation, both individually and also collectively. And we're going to imagine some action based kind of tips for you all to practice embodiment more deeply in your own lives. We're also going to talk through how building an awareness <laughs> of the connection <laughs> embodiment and magic shame pleasure ancestral work the erotic and spirit can really wake us up to god or creator or the universe whichever term feels most resonant for you and how kind of examining those connections can bring a really sacred dimension to the work we do and the lives we enact and i think this is going to be a really juicy conversation so buckle up y'all um and I'm going to pass it over to Tumi now to introduce themselves. I wonder if you can tell us, Tumi, where you're calling from and perhaps what exactly a somatica practitioner is and how you came to this work. Yeah, yeah. Hi, everyone. Um, <laughs> it's like, hello. I'm already just like speaking of embodiment to, um, to ground in my space. I'm already like just rocking gently backward and forward and side to side and applying a gentle pressure on my legs to be like, oh, I'm here in this body, in this moment with Camille. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Orienting. Yeah. Yeah. And I love, like, I think because embodiment is such a big part of my work, I'm always doing so much to be like, whoa, where am I in this yeah. moment? And so already an invitation for you listening to just check in with like, oh, ah, can I take a deep breath and can I notice my body and can I notice that I'm here? Yeah. And just like, and, or can I notice that I'm not here and like, not judge that, but just be like, whoa, can I notice where I am today? Mm -hmm. um, but with regards to my work, so I'm trained as a somatica practitioner, which is a relational form of teaching intimacy, really. Um, and I trained at the Somatica Institute with my mentors, Celeste and Danielle, who have formed this method with roots in sexological bodywork, in kind of mainstream sex therapy, um, and also attachment theory in the Hakomi method. And really, they came to this body of work by saying, like, 
it feels like there's something there's something missing like we can talk to people about embodiment and we can talk to people about the erotic but there's something about practicing and there's something about being in it and so it's really this method of experiential learning and practicing um which has been hugely transformative for me and even though i work less in the capacity of sex and relationship coach these days i always use these tools of like how connected am i to my erotic energy how connected is another person the person in front of me to their erotic energy like can we be in intimacy with ourselves i think is the core question of this work like whoa can we be in intimacy with ourselves and from that place can we be in intimacy with each other and then what magic can happen there a hundred percent thank you so much for sharing that because it also feels different to perhaps like a cognitive behavioral therapy model or something like that which is so based in the cerebral and i know that you and i in Mm. our like theory loving college days were doing like the brain work of trying to figure out how all of these systems come together to shape our experience and then also what happens in excess of those systems coming in and kind of shaping our lives and i feel like that piece is really you know the connection back to the body back to the land Mm. as the body and all of those kinds of ideas um and i think something that i felt so excited about when i came to your work through your podcast human becoming which we'll touch on more later but i really hope listeners here also go to listen to tumi's podcast but um it was really just the kind of searing questions you asked and like the unflinching way you talked about your own experiences of realizing that like dissociation was your baseline and the like peril and brutality of that realization and all the grief that comes with that. And I wonder if you're open to it, if you remember kind of what the first experience of encountering the immensity of your dissociation, um, Mm -hmm. like what did that moment entail? How did that feel? How did you reorient after that? Because I also imagine listening to you speak might make a lot of listeners realize like, wait a second, I've been living out of connection with my body rather than in connection with my body for years and like what does that mean yeah 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 if you're listening you can't see but i'm already like teary uh because this is such a tender tender place for me Mm -hmm. ah so i'm also just like noticing all the sensation that comes up in my body and all the emotion that comes up in my body around this yeah and it's ah yeah I'm also like noticing um how I can slow my pace because my body is like whoa give us a chance to catch up (laughs) um but I think it's so interesting because I actually had a really sobering realization maybe three weeks ago Mm -hmm. and I've been doing this work for like two years now Mm -hmm. um where I was like I think that was when it actually really clicked for the first time how dissociated I've been Mm-hmm. for my whole life even mm-hmm. though I've been speaking to it through the podcast even though I've been speaking to disembodiment mm-hmm. I had this moment of like oh I've not felt safe in this body for such a large amount of my life and yeah. I didn't know that there was another way of experiencing being alive being in this moment yeah yeah <laughs> um <laughs> being present and there's so much grief connected to that um, because it is, it's painful. It's yeah. painful to know that 
I grew up in a world that I felt so unsafe in and that like, I'm still, even though I'm, I'm, I feel so much more in my body, there's still so much I know I can experience. Like there's still so many places where I'm like, oh, we can like lean in there and there and there. Um, but I think probably if I had to orient to a memory being in somatica and one of the first practices we do is breath work like that's one of the first things mm -hmm. and I was like and they ask you to like feel into your chest as you breathe mm -hmm. and feel into your belly as you breathe and I was like I literally can't breathe below my collarbone like that's yeah. where breath ends I can't feel below I can't feel breath moving into my chest if I'm pushing into my belly it's sore let alone into like my pelvic floor and my pussy mm -hmm. And so that was very like, ooh, okay. Um, and then it's just always unpeeling layers. I thought that I would like reach a point of like, oh, I'm embodied or like, oh, I understand. And it's just this continual deepening of there's so much more to experience here. Before we got on this call, I was thinking about part of the this disembodied experience is like always living in a different time than this one now. So like I spent most of my life backward or forward. Like I spent most of my time orienting towards these other places because it was too painful to be in my body in this moment and to be here. And I'm experiencing like for the first time in my life an ability to be in this time space reality more than I am in other places. And like that in and of itself, very humbling. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I wonder if you have come to a point now where there are specific telltale signs that you notice for if you are like existing in the now in this embodied way, or if you are kind of scattered somewhere else. I feel like mm. for me, I'm really in that dissociative baseline. Mm. I'm stimulating myself my care mm. practices feel more like a chore rather than mm. a moment to like deepen this int intimacy with myself. Um, being in connection with other people in like serendipitous ways feels really draining. And mm. when I put all that together, that's kind of become my telltale for like, oh, okay, okay, okay. Like we need to slow all the way down, take more breaths into the pelvic floor, do all of these things that like you taught mm. me for our coaching together. Um, and we'll get on, more onto the like practical tip side in a moment. But I wonder if you have any of those telltales in your own life that you could share. Mm, yeah. One is my thoughts will, I'll randomly catch myself thinking about something like just totally random and, and, and unrelated. And it's a different quality of thought to when I'm letting myself meander, when I'm moving through my creative process. It's like, I'm trying to think about anything else so that I can not be here so when I notice that I'm like oh okay <laughs> and then I don't I don't judge it I'm just like oh I sometimes I really can't be here and I don't force myself to come into my body if I don't want to be here but I'm like that's what's happening and I can be present with the fact that that's happening can I feel my toes that's one of my like checks like can I feel my toes right now like am I am I am I present with the fact that I have toes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, I feel you. I feel yeah. you. Wow. Yeah. And, and it's, it's like, mm, you go. No, it's just such a tiny thing. Like, can you feel your toes? And I think that just like brings me back to a laughable degree of, of grief where it's like, wow, 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 wow. <laughs> I've been so disconnected that like maybe I can't feel my toes sometimes. What is that? Mm. Woo! Mm. 
Mm. And that it's so, I think it's so normalized to like, why would you need, like, there's almost like the, why would you need to feel your toes? And it's like, wait, but the fact that I'm in a body all the time, Mm -hmm. I've only ever been in this body for as long as like this consciousness has existed. (laughs) I've only ever been in a body and yet I can't feel my toes, you know, like, so so that's a little place for me and I can take it up. I can say like, oh, can I feel my ankles? But for me, the toes are the telltale because it's like the furthest reaches, mm-hmm. furthest from my mind. Um, and then if I can't, can I like orient a bit more to the sensation there? And then how soft is my belly is another one. Mm. Yeah. Am I holding a lot of tension here? Like, am I is there stiffness or is there like a softness breath is moving there easily? Um, so if, if I feel more tension there and more holding, or even, um, I suppose the last one I would say is, can I be aware of my impulses? So like now, as we're sitting here, I'm like, oh, I have the impulse to slow down. Okay. Mm -hmm. I have the impulse to like rub my chest and like, that's helping to ease sensation there. And there was like a sensation in my back that wanted some touch and, oh, Mm -hmm. can I be aware of the impulse to press down on my legs so that I can feel grounded? So when I'm aware of impulses, I know that my nervous system is doing the regulation that it's just so good at naturally doing. Mm-hmm. And when I like can't feel any impulse or I'm just like, do-do-do-do-do-do, like really fast, then I know I'm probably not super connected to my body. A hundred percent. And it yeah. also kind of reminds me of the fact that really dissociation is a coping mechanism. It's a exactly. soothing mechanism. And like, reframing it in that way I think has really helped me take the judgment piece out of it and I think that is actually a core part of why your work has been so transformational in my own life or even Charmaine's life you know we talked about it in episode one the shame buddy concept has been Mm. instrumental instrumental in deepening our Mm. intimacy and our friendship and so I Mm. also wonder um how you're feeling about that judgment piece, how you're disentangling that these days, because I think that's really where like the shadow comes out and kind of tries to fuck us over. If we like, <laughs> if we let that judgment piece come in, because if not, the shadow's just a shadow that I can like love and hug and hold. Um, but the second that judgment piece comes in, it grows spines and it grows spikes and then it starts to hurt a little bit more. Mm-hmm. It's so interesting because like I could, I mean, I could take this and so because judgment is so big and like shame mm-hmm. is so big around mm-hmm. the disembodiment piece or the disassociation piece in the last three weeks. Like I've had a huge turnaround um, in, in my understanding of how safety is such a foundational human need. It's actually like the first developmental need that we have. Yeah. And if we don't feel that because of systems of oppression, because of, you know, family dynamics because of a lot of different things there are so many factors here we can learn from the womb to disassociate I didn't know that it can be like from such a young age that we learn to leave our bodies because it's not safe also because you're so like you think about yourself in the womb you you have nothing else to do but disassociate because you can't move you can't move away you know there's like nothing else and so for me orienting towards that and being like oh like it makes so much sense that I'm disembodied a lot of the time and even though shame will come up sometimes shame does come up sometimes I'm like I shouldn't be or I've I've done all this work and still you know and then it's just like oh okay I can be there I can meet the 
voice of judgment with tenderness, or I can meet the voice of shame with tenderness. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think sometimes we meet the voice of shame with more shame or mm-hmm. the voice of judgment with more judgment. Like you shouldn't be here. And yeah. it's like, oh, what if I didn't make this wrong? What if I didn't make this voice wrong? What if I didn't make this experience wrong? And I just said like, oh, hi, my sweet little part. <laughs> you know, like I'm going to listen to you. Yeah. I'm going to take care of you. And I'm not necessarily going to take everything that you're saying to be like truth or fact. Um, Like if it's, you know, really mean, um, I'm not going to believe that to be true about me, but I'm going to understand that like you're ultimately something that's really shifted for me is like every part of me is trying to give me a gift. I might Mm -hmm. not always agree with the strategies that my parts Mm -hmm. use, but I can empathize with the ultimate thing that they're trying to give me. And so meeting that um and experiences of shame and judgment everywhere has been really useful oh to me you're giving us gold you're giving us gold (laughs) (laughs) curious about like um this notion of crossing our own boundaries Mm. um I absolutely love and often return back to your conceptualization of boundaries as what allows me to be in sustainable intimacy with myself and other people. Mm, I just mm. love that framing so much. Mm. Um, I wonder what dissociation and disembodiment have to do with boundaries. Um, Mm. I think that another actually telltale sign of me being in that dissociative mode is when I'm crossing my own boundaries and it's such a sticky feeling. Um, Mm. One that I've become a lot more attuned to and can kind of notice now, but that's taken a lot of time. And I wonder um, if you have anything that you, if that feels alive, if you have anything you wanna discuss as far as that's concerned. Mm. A recent breakthrough for me, specifically around the safety thing. So I I learned that, oh, I was in this training and it was like, and then it was really on early developmental trauma and how, you know, when this foundational need for safety isn't present, that we can learn to disassociate. And in that disassociated space, sometimes we're likely to not even have an awareness of our boundaries. It's not like we're consciously, you know, there's like zero awareness until Mm -hmm. maybe after the fact. And that's an experience I've had so often where like I cross my own boundaries and then after I'm like, oh God. And then I feel shame for having a freeze response or just being super disassociated for the whole experience. Mm -hmm. And then bringing in a, a layer of that empathy of like, oh, because of how I experienced unsafety in my early childhood environment, I'm likely to disassociate, become unaware of my boundaries and literally only become aware well after the fact. Mm -hmm. Um, And bringing in a level of like, just acceptance there, not trying to change it, not being like, and that must end now. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes you can be like, the cycle ends now. And it's like, wait. (laughs) Hold up. Um, yeah and just being like oh I'm actually likely to do that for the rest of my life and there's a relief to that as well um yeah and I can create strategies for taking care of myself I can create strategies for communicating that I I do it a lot around sex so I can I have strategies for communicating that with partners Uh, And not making myself wrong when I cross my boundaries, which I used to, you know, it it was like a, a, an evidence of failure of my healing, you know, versus like, I've just 
learned how to do that for my whole life. Mm -hmm. And in herbalism, there's this principle that like the time that it takes to get into an illness is the time that it takes to get out. And I think about that. Yeah. <laughs> in <laughs> like, oh, what if I just accepted that? And I was like, it took me 20 plus years to arrive here. It's going to take <laughs> some time, you know, to move. And I don't even think it's ever moving out of it. I think right. of it as like, this is part of my hero's journey for life. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. it will come back as a theme. Sometimes mm -hmm. it'll be more intense. Sometimes I'll be like, I'm totally over that. But it's mm -hmm. part of my hero's journey. And I've just accepted that. And I think if you're someone that crosses your boundaries, like if you do cross your boundaries, then having that layer of like, I'm likely to do this maybe when I'm stressed, maybe mm -hmm. when I'm overwhelmed, yeah. maybe when I'm disassociated, like there are times when I'm just more likely to do this. I can try to become aware in those moments so that I can avoid it happening. But also if it happens, I can meet myself with a lot of like tenderness and grace for relying on that mechanism and strategy. Absolutely. Yeah. And I feel like this is perhaps where the ancestral piece comes in, right? Because if it's like the amount of time it takes to come into the illness is the amount of time it takes to come out. And we think about illness in like maybe a more conceptual way. If we think of capitalism as an illness, if we mm. think about racism as mm. an illness, all mm. of these other things, then like we're not only carrying our respective 24 years, it's mm. also like all the generations that came before us. And mm. I wonder, um, I'm feeling called to kind of switch directions a little bit and go into that direction. Um, yeah. Because I think the ancestral piece and the like systems piece is actually what connects all the things we've spoken about thus far, right? Like mm. we can just say that our orientation towards dissociation, again, like is enabled actively by all of these things that actually don't want us to be on earth right now. So mm. when you begin to understand, it's not just like a little dissociation monster popping up in your own life. It's this like Goliath sized thing that we're all trying to overcome. I think that can be a little bit overwhelming, but also for me, orients me to the collective and helps me understand that like every moment I can come back into connection with my body is also me coming back into connection with God, with my ancestors, with the kind of like role I can play at this particular time on earth to start to yeah. break things down with other members of our cohort, like you, uh, Charmaine, like other people who are near and dear to me. Um, mm. I feel like I also want to bring the money piece into this, which is something mm. you and I have been talking a lot about where something you said recently that really blew my mind was that, and it was actually on your podcast. It was about how generationally speaking, like our lineages have not learned how to hold the sensation of power in their body. Mm. And if mm. they have, it's kind of tinged with this colonial ethos or this um, capitalistic ethos of power means domination, power means um, absolute control, all of these other things um, that I don't believe is how you and I actually understand power at its core. And mm. I wonder, um, I mean, there are like 8 million questions within all of that. <laughs> I'm curious about, um, yeah, how you're feeling about the money piece, the power piece, as it relates mm. to 
um, the ancestral and the systemic more broadly. And then maybe mm. there's another question under that, which actually relates to Carolyn Elliott's book, Existential King, which you put me on to as well, but like this work of making the unconscious conscious, which, you know, takes a lot of that deshamifying work, that embodiment work, that non-judgment work that we talked about kind of in the earlier portion of this episode. Um, mm. If you want me to rephrase any of that, please let me know. Cause I know that was a little bit of <laughs> well, We can, we can like, cause I feel like there's the one, the one piece um, of how understanding all of this in a greater context helps to reduce shame. Yeah. Um, and I think that's really important to like name also then that we don't see disassociation or disembodiment as a personal failing, but as an adaptive strategy to a dysfunctional system. Yeah. And so we can be really fucking thankful, <laughs> you know, yeah. that we did adapt in those ways because that helped us to survive. Yeah. Um, and then be like, okay, and how can we recognize that like, this is so much bigger and there are so many people that we can connect with in this. Mm-hmm. And also that there's a long way out of this one <laughs> and like, and also, and, and letting that be, I think that also like when we're, I'm a bit of like a self-help junkie, a healing junkie, I feel, you know, I'm just like, give it all, give it all. And then <laughs> I can really have the notion of like, and I'm going to get to this mountaintop of my healing and orienting to like, wait, I get to do this work for the rest of my life. And instead of getting to a mountaintop, I see it as like a downward moving spiral of like mm -hmm. deepening. Mm -hmm. um, and, and there's something really magical and orienting to like, even as we move out of capitalism, as we move out of white body supremacy, as we move out of a level of consciousness that allows for exploitation and extraction from the mm -hmm. earth and people and beings, can we see that as, as a downward moving spiral, moving into more depth, more power, more freedom, more liberation with each and every generation? And we get to be part of the spiral, but we don't have to feel overwhelmed by like the work ends with us or like we have yeah. to do it all in a lifetime because I know yeah. I can get really overwhelmed thinking about that. Yeah. And then I think there's like the power and money and ancestral piece. And I love that you brought in ah, how we are not used to holding the sensations of power, of wealth, mm -hmm. of being valued, right? And, and then the sensations that come along with power and wealth. Mm -hmm. And that's also this like long-term work that we're doing. How can we get more comfortable embodying the sensations of power? Ah, and, and, and a power, I feel like we're really rethinking power. Mm -hmm. um, and, and feeling into it in different ways. Like, oh, what does it mean? I think about this thing I say to myself and to other people all the time. Like you're one of the most, you're the most powerful magician that the world yep. has ever seen. Yep. And then my brain is like, how can everyone be the most powerful? <laughs> like I have my like ranking hierarchy brain. Um, <laughs> and lately I've been understanding it as like, what if, what if power and, and deepening in our power really just is this personal process of being like, there's more for me here. There's more for me here. There's more for me to hold here. There's more for me to like claim for myself here. There's more for me to touch into here. <sighs> and it's not about having it over someone else or under someone else or in comparison to, but like I get to hold this for myself, which is for me, what I really fucking want for people is like to hold the sensations of, feeling themselves to be who they are 
who they are as God, which is ultimately where this power comes from. Like it's not a a human source that we're speaking about. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. And I guess for the money piece, I think where I like weaving the money piece in there is like, I was saying this to a client recently, but like, what if money just gets to be this like supportive friend who's along for the ride? A lot of us see ourselves as like moving towards money just for the sake of money. And that can feel really like, oh, but I don't want money just for the sake of money. Mm -hmm. And instead of being like, money's the friend who's like, you're on this big ass magician's quest. Do you need some water? I've got you. Do you need me to push a tank? I've got you. Like, you need a retreat day? I've got you. Like, money is that one who's like your your personal assistant in life, ready to have you and have all your needs and get them met so that you can do the deep, powerful, expansive, magical work that you came to earth to do. Absolutely. And it reminds me of the quote by Akweke Amezi from their... um, memoir Dear Centurion that we discussed a little bit, but Amazi writes that I would not have the space to be safe, to focus on unfolding as a self, if not for the money. And goes mm. on to write about how time is important too, but money allows you to buy time. Mm. Um, and I think that starting to understand that my desire to have power, to be wealthy and all of these mm. things is actually not something I need to shame or judge. Mm. I think because I've done so much of the cerebral theoretical work around Afro-pessimism and Black studies and all of this. I really mm. keep to associate um, that desire with something inherently evil, you know? Talk about this saying that we grew up on, like it, there's no ethical way to be a millionaire, right? Mm. And that's something that we can shift now as leaders in the Aquarian age, which is another thing that I'd like to talk about that's feeling yes. so exciting. Um, but that de-shamifying work also really came through your insights around money. Um, and now I really imagine it really aligned with Amazie that like, you know, money allows me to spread my writing near and far. Money allows me to travel to see openings and see shows that I wouldn't otherwise get to see here in Chicago. And like, put the pedal to the metal on developing my practice and honing my voice and all of these other kind of like aesthetic concerns that are Mm. also life concerns for me personally. Because when I'm having a good writing day, fam, like the whole world is illuminated around me. It feels glorious. But like in that space also allows me to do that kind of like transformative alchemical shadow work for the collective too. Cause that's what my Mm. writing is invested in. And I Mm. think that shame piece around like, oh no, I should try to do this work for the cheapest rate I possibly can because that for some reason is somehow helping the collective, right? (sighs) Yeah, like like grief in that too because I see so many artists and healers in particular Mm. doing that. And this is another thing that we've discussed offline, you know? but starting to go into those rooms, into those meetings and like really do the practice again that you taught me of like sitting with the conception of this project that has come across my desk. I can say yes, or I can say no. And I get to give myself permission to sit down, stand up, dance, whatever, just be in my body and ask myself what number, what number, what rate would allow me to come to this work with integrity, joy, and stay aligned with the love that directed me towards this project in the first place, that magnetized this project into my realm in the first place. And Mm. understanding my rate as a boundary, because if I don't ask for the money that I want, 
then I start to show up in resentment for the work. And then that kind of corrupts and almost poisons the larger project that allows me to do that alchemical shadow work for the collective. So mm. then it all starts to connect in my mind. Mm. And I also think something about, um, I don't know, this feels like astrologically significant too, because my moon is in Pisces, you know, and my North node is in Virgo. So the South <laughs> is Pisces, right? And like, that's another yeah. thing we share. So carrying around this notion of like the wounded healer, the martyr is really mm. something that in a much larger sense is something I need to work through during mm. my time here on earth. And I think mm. really the cornerstone of, of all of that awareness came through understanding that like, really it's not evil at all for me to desire to have this wealth because it's not like you said wealth and money for wealth and money's sake it's wealth and money to spread these gifts that i've been given yes um, and yeah so there's another yeah. for you. <laughs> <laughs> but i i love that i love that so much and i love like how you're thinking about money and it's been so exciting just to see that move through you mm -hmm. um I'm really thinking here about like with the Piscean age, you know, that's so much yeah. of what we're moving out of. Like we're yeah. saying goodbye to the age of Pisces. We're saying goodbye to this way of, you know, being the martyr, being self-sacrificing, right? Like the nobility of self-sacrifice for me is such a Piscean era theme. Mm -hmm. And we've all grown up. Like I think about how the words like self-sacrifice is a virtue, but like um, self self what are what are the self-centeredness that's not a virtue you know but it's like wait but I'm like centered around myself you know and I feel like there's so much in our language around the self that says disregard the self disrespect the self you know yeah. um and and sacrifice the self that's yeah. the thing that you should do and then we're in this place of like but that's not actually what we want to do and for me the question is how do I not leave my love? Like, how do I not leave that place inside of me? And I'm going to be leaving love if I'm going into resentment. I'm leaving love if I'm crossing my boundaries. Love for myself, you know, yeah. and love for this project and love for the people involved and love for all the people whose lives this is going to impact yeah. if I let myself show up in my fullest, most expansive, most joyful, most integrity-driven way. Yeah. Um, and so that feels like such a hot shift that we're making that I'm just like, yes, yeah. I fucking love this and really yeah. moving into like, okay, wealth gets to support us. It's such a different paradigm around money. You know, money gets to support us. Wealth gets to support us. It gets to be the foundation of safety that says, you know, jump. We all need secure attachment just from an attachment theory perspective. Like having a secure attachment is what lets a child go off into the world ah, from a place of like, ah, oh, the world is a safe place and I get to explore it and I get to give myself to the world in this really expansive way. And it's yeah. like, that's what I want for all of us is to feel that secure and safe attachment that lets us say, I'm going out into the world in this excited way, in this way that's like, the world is a safe place for me to be in. I can be myself in this world. I get to share my gifts with this world from like the deepest part of me. Mm -hmm. And money supports all of that. Money is creating that foundation in very tangible ways. Wealth is creating that foundation for me so that I can say, hmm, you know, what do I really want to offer humanity at this time? We're here for such a short period of time. Um, 
and I think money to bring in the Carolyn Elliott piece, like it just becomes such a fucking juicy place to do the shadow work and to say like, oh, what have I believed about money? What have I believed to be true about money? That money makes me unethical, that money makes me a bad person, that Mm. money makes me corrupt, that having money means that I will disconnect from the people that I love, right? Like I'll be out of integrity. So often with the people that I, I work with and serve, I feel like these are people who really want to offer something incredible to the world. And they worry that allowing themselves to receive their desires around money will take them out of integrity of the depths that they are bringing into the world. And I totally get that concern. It's so beautiful to be like, this thing that I have to offer is so beautiful. It's so important. And I don't want to be out of integrity or out of alignment with my community. I don't want to be excommunicated by my community. I don't want to be, you know, like I, I want to be able to offer this and I want people to be able to receive it. And I'm scared that money isn't going to let me do that. And it's like, whoa, but what if money could let you do that in even bigger ways? Like, yeah. yeah. What if, what if money just is the key? A hundred percent. And I think I also another dear friend of mine, uh, we were on FaceTime the other day and they were like, but you know, like money just feels like an energy, like money just, it doesn't, you know, it feels like love or time or Mm. whatever else. Um, And they were talking about how when money sits stagnant in their account, it makes them really uncomfortable. Like they want to be using it. They want to be like, um, yeah, letting it go so that they can make more space for it to come back in, like literally in their bank account. Um, and I think another fear that I've heard a lot of folks talk about, including myself, is like you have this savings account or you have this nest egg and you feel like you need to hoard it or sit on it or keep mm. it. And that's what's going to make you feel safe. And I've actually found that the times I feel most excited about that money shift in my life or when I actually am spending a great deal of it on myself, on other people, on my goals, on my gifts, um, rather than just sitting on it. And it feels like that's a key um, Piscean age into Aquarian age shift of like, we don't Mm. actually hoarding all of this because there literally is enough to go around for everyone and I think mm. understanding that really came through doing the deepest fear inventory from Carolyn Elliott's book and I mm. wonder if you could like talk about what that involves so other mm. folks who are listening now can perhaps if they feel called to go do their own deepest fear inventory Mm, yes. Okay. I love sharing deepest fear inventories with people. I'm currently in a process of like doing one every day. Um, and I, I find this to be the most transformational practice. So what you're going to do is you're going to get a piece of paper that you can rip. Mm -hmm. And at the top of it, you're going to write dear universe or dear God, dear cosmos, dear ancestors, dear higher benevolent force, whoever you would like to invoke higher self. Mm-hmm. I absolutely refuse or I absolutely resent. And then you you input the thing that you say that you want. So let's say you say you want $10,000 coming into your account every month consistently. I absolutely refuse to have $10,000 come into my account every month consistently. And then stream of consciousness, you write your first 20 because I have deep fear that I because I have deep fear that I will be reckless with it, because I have deep fear that I don't deserve it, because I have deep fear that I'm not worthy, because I have deep fear that I will be stingy, because I have deep fear that I will be unethical, because I have deep fear that I'll be cut off by my friends. 
anything that comes up, don't think about it too much, literally just write it. Um, and then at the end you write, I humbly ask for the removal of these fears. I pray only for knowledge of your will for me and the power to carry it out. And then you rip it up or you burn it, but don't keep it um, because essentially in the ripping and burning process, you're signaling to the unconscious that you're ready to release these fears. And in that last invocation, in that last prayer, I find it to be so powerful because it's saying like, God, I have these fears. I know that it's only by divine grace <laughs> that these fears will be released into the cosmos. And so I'm invoking that divine grace and saying, that I only wish for knowledge of your will for me and the power to carry it out. So it's really a fucking surrender, a deep surrender, a deep surrender of those fears um, and an invocation of divine grace, which feels delightful. No, I absolutely yeah. love that. And that makes me think also about another thing that I think we're deeply aligned on. I wrote an essay about desire about a year ago and sent it to Toomey. And it was all about how um, it was actually completely based on a Rumi quote that I found mm. again in A.K. Maisie's memoir. Like, please read that book. Oh my God, I'm <laughs> listening. Please read that book. Especially if you're like an artist, a creative person, a healer. Um, but it's something along the lines of how Rumi, Rumi like king of detachment is talking about how like actually he doesn't want to desire anything because everything is already within him um because god is within him and mm -hmm. i think uh that feels like a really romantic idea to me i understand the valors of it but also when i read it every single every single cell in my body clenched up and was like no 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 like that actually doesn't feel right because i derive so much pleasure from being in connection with other people and i think you know we could have a one hour discussion about the difference between being in connection and feeling like you quote need someone mm. or something um but amazing kind of like chimed in with Rumi and was like, yeah, I agree with this. And it was within this larger context of like them starting to reach critical acclaim for their writing and still feeling unsatiable, like still feeling mm. like there was so much more that they wanted in this sense that I just like can picture Maisie like being crushed under the weight of their desires. And I too mm. have felt that way in so many points of my life. Like I want so much, this is so mm. overwhelming. And then mm. I would start shaming myself for the magnitude of what I wanted. But then in writing through like why that quote made me feel so uncomfortable, I started to realize that the reason I value desire so much in my own life is because it connects me to God's will for me, to the universe's will for me. And then the next step yes. there, like that connection is the portal out onto awareness of exactly what my gifts are. And at mm. this point in my life, it's my words, it's my writing. Um, mm. And so I wonder if we can just go there for a moment, because I remember in one of the most recent episodes of Human Becoming, you really kind of revisited that idea of desire as what allows you to be awake to God. And really so much of this work in my own life is working to be completely 110% awake and in acceptance of every single desire that I have. Ah, like, yes. yes. <laughs> like the essential kink phrase of like, um, or the statement of like, I want exactly what I want and I'm allowed mm. to want exactly what I want when I want it and how much I want it. Mm. Um, mm. So maybe we can go there for a moment because that's yes. exciting too today. 
Yeah, yeah. I'm thinking about before we got on this call, I was thinking about how if I if I wrote a book about spirituality, I would call it the path of desire. This is something I feel so fucking strongly about because, oh, it's so beautiful. These like feathers just started, three beautiful feathers just started like drifting outside my yes. window, just like so <laughs> synchronous. Um, but I, I would write the path of desire. Maybe I will write it. I feel yes. very strongly about the way that desire through a lot of different religious systems has been seen as this thing to be renounced, right? Yes. Like renounce your desire, renounce your desire. There's so much of that. The patriarchy really focuses on like, renounce your desires. And, uh, <laughs> We're like, nope, sorry, baby. Absolutely. Sorry, not. absolutely not. And, and I was even, I'm in this training right now. Um, mm -hmm. And, and yesterday the facilitator was like talking about how every single one of your desires is sanctioned by God. Every uh, single uh, one of your desires is sanctioned by God. And I was just mm. really holding that because I feel that to be so true. I feel that what I want is God's way of communicating to me, is God's way of communicating what is mine to create in this physical reality. Mm. And I feel that if everyone listened to their desires, if everyone had the ability to listen to their desires, their deepest mm. desires, Mm -hmm. and we could create in the world from that place, mm -hmm. I would love to see that world. I would uh -huh. really, really, really fucking love to see that world. Um, and I think, and that's where I think the EK work is so interesting because sometimes we, we consciously identify with the desires like, I want to build this beautiful home. Or I want to build this artist's retreat and residency. I want to, you know, have these prizes. I want to have, and then it's like, what about the unconscious desires? What about the desires for scarcity? Like this is where existential kink really for me has been so freeing. What about the desires for humiliation? What about the desires for hardship? What about the desire for suffering? Like what about all these desires that parts of us are actively desiring? And what if we could meet that big fucking part? Yeah, three fucking parts. Yeah. It's not like a little teeny tiny boy. Not like little little one that's like some scarcity, please. No, they're like give it all to me. Give it to me, <laughs> literally. <laughs> and I feel like that's where existential kink is so wonderful to be like, oh, how can I connect with all of my desires? My desires, yes for the consistent $10,000 in my account mm -hmm. and the desire to just like constantly feel like I'm in this like scarcity trap with money where I'm like the trying to, I love the feeling of deprivation. It's so hot for me. Mm -hmm. So scarcity feels like this, this experience of like running on the treadmill, trying to get the carrot and the carrots being dangled yeah. in front. And, like, I can't just get the <laughs> carrot and like, oh my God, I'm getting so hot and worked up, you know, yeah. and, and not making that a bad thing. Just being like, oh my God, that's delicious. Mm -hmm. I'm getting, I think that's where, you know, an existential kink, the one axiom of having is evidence of wanting. Mm -hmm. And that when we look around us, like that all of this reality is created by desire, by and through desire. Yeah. It's like, how then do we not think that that's the most godly thing Absolutely. that we could experience? Mm -hmm. um, Absolutely. I'm also thinking here, one thing that Carolyn offered me is like, what is a self? What is a self? I think about yeah. this all the time. Like, what the fuck is a self? Yeah. And, and one thing that she said is like, what if yourself was just the accumulation of your desires in this space, right? So if there's like this, this dimensional plane of space-time and you're just a point in space-time, what if 
yourself is just the accumulations of the desires that are gathering there and what if being human is just the process of like acknowledging every desire that's moving through constantly constantly ever changing ever flowing like ah, exactly <laughs> so fucking hot yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god I feel like yeah this reminds me so much of a couple things like three things so thinking about how maybe embodiment and presence and like moving into that deep, deep, deep space within ourselves, cultivating that intimacy, maybe is the portal to out onto our desires because it goes back to this shame piece. You know, if I am in embodiment, if I'm in intimacy with myself, there's a little siren driving by. I don't know if you can hear it. Um, <laughs> okay, one second. Do, 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 do. Just do, some do, elevator do, music. Do, 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 do. <laughs> Go on a service break. <laughs> you can hear me though, right? I can hear you. It's totally okay. Okay, awesome. Um, but yeah, what if embodiment is the portal out onto our desires? Because it's mm. like from that space of really deep awareness of all of those sensations that I've been able to decouple shame from the things that I want. Um, mm. so that feels like a journal prompt for me to go write about after this that I feel really excited about. And mm. I can see it kind of within that beautiful analogy of the downward spiral that mm. you described earlier. Also want to say that like, aesthetically speaking I love that because it moves directly against the capitalistic idea of like expansion and upward onward upward forward yeah. exactly yeah. versus this downward spiral oh my gosh there is something going on out there there's there are um, things the world is worlding exactly <laughs> um but that just feels so deeply true in my own mm. life I don't know I've just been thinking about that since you said it and I feel like if embodiment is like at this tip of the spiral, then maybe being aware of your desires is like one full rotation down into the spiral or something mm. like that. Like the being mm. aware of your desires and de-shamifying them feels like it's deeper within that cone um, mm. in a really like exciting, juicy way. Um, mm. That also makes me think about that. Yeah, like that axiom, you are not what you think you are in Carolyn's mm. case. But I remember reading that Ooh. and like, <laughs> the most excruciating ego death I have ever experienced really, really came from like tossing that statement around in my life and in my mind, because I think yeah. that in a moment where self-awareness is now a currency, like self-awareness is now something that can be exploited or like mm. um, instrumentalized by capitalism, like the kind of self-awareness you post about on Instagram or something of that nature, mm. right? Versus mm. the like completely ineffable, completely inarticulable things that we just know about ourselves, but those things can also be completely shattered. So Carolyn Elliott's proposition around a self is like, not only what the hell is a self, but like, what if the self is this constant constantly unstable thing that you will mm -hmm. never be able to harness and what if mm -hmm. the work is not actually trying to like you know splay yourself out on a laboratory table and like play a game of operation and try to figure out what's in there like mm. what it's actually just about when new things are introduced being able to sit in all of those sensations and in the totality of those sensations and that's actually mm. something way more exciting to me because within mm. the fear of like, wait, what if I don't know who I am? So what? Mm. Like, okay, cool. <laughs> Allow your desires to like come up and clarify that. Like, I don't think that's yeah. such a crisis in the way that I had initially received that. Um, yeah. 
And I think coming out of that cave really was about letting myself go into that downward spiral and know that I'm safe within that spiral. Actually, it's the safest place for me to be. Um, And I feel like this also, I mean, something else we've talked about is being part of this cohort, right? Like being these cosmic beings who, you know, staked out a claim of exactly what we were going to do on earth and then descended <sighs> together. Um, yeah. Now we're like, where does he are in these bodies? And like, <laughs> you know, remain tethered to our humanness and also remain tethered to our like cosmic origins. Um, mm-hmm. I, I imagine that some folks listening to this might be like, what the hell does any of that mean? But other <laughs> folks are going to be like, no, I feel you. Like I know I that. get you. <laughs> the sense of like, just um, a really existential feeling of non-belonging or out of placeness. Mm. And it makes mm. me want to ask you about something that I have a feeling we've both experienced recently, which is in the issue here, not the issue, like the little fun added sight of suffering that comes as a consequence or as a result of moving into and, and like embodying all the things that we're talking about is mm. rupture. Is mm. rupture is loss is like mm. people that we felt were really important to us because mm. at the end of the day um you know a lot of what we're talking about is quite radical and is really part of our own leadership in this age of aquarius um mm. with fire and courage to just say the thing and see who's still going to be around after that statement has landed on the ground right and yeah. so i what happens when you align with your values more ardently more confidently more vocally and you lose people or fall out of connection with people. And like, mm. can we talk about the grief that that brings up? Can we talk about how humbling of an experience that can be? Can we talk about mm. how that brings up this dust storm of like self-doubt? And then within that storm is an opportunity to like reground and like revalue the things that we've said that have maybe drawn us out of connection with people. I'm wondering... Mm what you think about all of that. What I think about all of that, yes, I love this. Also because I think when when you start doing DFIs and you do DFIs on all different areas of your life, money, DFI, you know. DFI oh, is deep deepest fear inventory. inventory. Okay. Yes. Oh. <laughs> yeah, so when you're doing DFIs and you're doing them on money and you're doing them on all these different things, relationships, partnerships, you know, anything that you say you want. I feel like the one thing that comes up for me most centrally and like for other people too is this fear of, of loss. I'm going to lose this friend. I'm going to lose connection. I'm going to lose, like there's this huge fear that if, and I'll just speak for myself, like if I embody all that I am, I will lose people. And yep. then the universe has been like, you are correct. <laughs> yeah, That's and true. What do you do with that? Like, what do you yeah. do? With I have that fear all the time that like, you know, expanding into my immensity is going to terrify people. Like, mm, I, that's mm. a really deep fear of mine because I feel mm. so much faster than I actually, like, allow myself to embody. That's hard. Mm, mm. I had a, a recent experience of this where I was like, you know, I've been thinking about these things and then the universe was like, okay, practice session, let's yeah. go. And it was a really yeah. close connection and and there was just like a, a feeling of unalignment um in you know both of our values and like it was really it like knocked me I had to I don't think I've cried like that Mm -hmm. in a very long time if ever it felt like a a a depth of like like just sobbing that I had not it was an unfamiliar sensation to my body and I just was in that for like a good amount of time Mm -hmm. and I found that it deepened me 
because I had that moment of what do I do with this? Like I have the choice. I always have choice. I have the choice of saying, I'll play by your rules and I'll be accepted, you know, and I'll, I'll ignore these parts of myself. I have that choice. (laughs) And it was this intense feeling. I think that was so much of the emotion of it was like, now that I know what I know about what I want, I Mm. can't ever turn away from that. And it was like this moment between me and God of, of me recognizing, like I say my desires are holy, but how much do I mean it? Mm. And that was this beautiful opportunity to feel how much I fucking mean it, to feel how much I'm like, I could never abandon this. I could never abandon this. And I can be with the, without demonizing the person, without being like, and you're wrong for not accepting me, you know, like really being with their experience of me and how that's challenging for them and then I think the most loving thing to do is like if we if we can't be ourselves here then maybe there's distance that's needed maybe there maybe this is the end of the I like to say like many successful relationships end because Mm -hmm. we have this perception that like relationships are successful if they reach on into the never-ending ever (laughs) exactly again versus exactly yeah yeah and it's like oh what if that really served me at some points and now I value being myself far too much to ever let that go and Mm -hmm. that's a sensation I actually wish for everyone to to be tested because God loves to test to be tested around like what is my resolve here how committed am I to being myself and to bringing what I know I have to bring into this reality and can I be with the grief and can I be with the immense sadness and the feelings of like fuck I'm triggered I was so fucking triggered you know and and can I be with that and all the ways that I want to then go into like well you know, you just can't, you just can't deal with my realness. You just can't, like, I have like my subtle spiritual blaming where I'm like, it's not my fault that you're just not, you know, and then being like, I'm just really hurt. (laughs) And so I'm going to try project it and be like, they're just not as evolved as I am because I'm able to sit with the shadow and blah, 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 blah. (laughs) And being like, okay, that's okay. Yeah. you know, I don't, I don't have to, I can experience my shaming and blaming of this person. I also don't have to share it with them because I know it's about me. Um, But I think also knowing that people will react to their own shadow in the world. So nowadays when people get really fucking triggered by me, I'm like, I've done you a great service because now you get to look at this thing inside of you. Like if you're having an intense reaction towards me, like, really fucking intense there's something there yeah there's something there that wants you to be that wants you to look at it and I think when I was in my codependence and people pleasing phase I was like let me rather not make people experience the discomfort of having to look at that and now that I'm in much more sovereignty yeah, yeah I'm like let me give them the gift of looking at themselves whether that means we stay in connection or not because what is the most loving thing to do once again you know I'm like, you get a mirror, you get a mirror, you get a mirror, everybody gets a mirror. Everyone gets a mirror, exactly. (laughs) And it's like, that for me is also the Piscean age in relationships is like, just hang on at all costs versus like, 
is this serving us? Mm -hmm. What are we sacrificing to be here? What are we sacrificing of God's transmission through us to be here? I value God's transmission through me way too fucking much to sacrifice it to be in connection to someone that can't hold it, not by any fault of their own, just because they don't want to. They don't have desire and capacity around holding that with me. Okay, can I go find people who will? It's fair. Oh, I just... And it also reminds me of like, we got to invoke Audre Lorde, obviously. Yes, obviously. Come on. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Her like seminal essay uses of the erotic, um, Mm. which I actually remember sophomore year of college, I was like, "Mm, I don't know about this part of this theory, but she's talking about the erotic (laughs) as like, um, ultimately like deeply tied to joy. And I just pulled up the Mm. book, so I'm gonna read it to you. So she writes, Mm. another important way in which the erotic connection functions is is in the open and fearless underlining of my capacity for joy. Mm. So she's really, really tying the erotic as in this kind of a deeply illuminating force that wakes us up mm. to the totality mm-hmm. of life and the totality mm. of our gifts um, and is this really sacred thing. She's connecting it to joy. But I actually think it's connected to any intense sensation or emotion that we could possibly feel, which feels mm. like an exciting expansion of what she's saying, because then it's like, oh, loss can connect me to the erotic. Grief can connect me to the erotic. Sadness, mm. deep anger, rage, like anything that even shame and judgment can connect me back to the erotic. And like, yes! all, yeah, like <laughs> things that, you know, in the kind of like love and light t- type mm. of spiritual yeah spirituality that we encounter all the time it's like there's no space for those really dark shadowy kinky like taboo mm, things to come to the mm. surface let alone come to the surface and be a teacher and be regarded mm. as something that we can learn from and mm. i think that's also where the deep 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 transformational work within ourselves and also the collective can happen is when we learn yes. to celebrate the experience of of disconnection of like insert literally anything that we've been taught to perceive as like air quotes negative as bad yeah yeah um and I feel like that also connects to um there are two more things I want to ask you about this being one Mm -hmm. of them this Mm -hmm. idea from your mentor Luna about the notion of increasing our pleasure in any moment by five percent and I wonder like something I've been trying to experiment with is like um, you know, if I am having a deep experience of anger, or grief, or like anything that I would kind of like have the tendency to shame a little bit, can I increase the pleasure of feeling angry, which feels mm. so counterintuitive. Oh. Like I did it yesterday, mm. like feeling the pleasure of being so viscerally angry because anger ultimately, like the second I allowed myself to sink into that a little bit, I was like, wait, anger is literally just me being mad about the fact that my boundaries were crossed and that my Mm. safety was compromised. That makes, Mm. of course, I'm going to like feel some type of way about that, whether Mm. that boundary crosses like an actual material thing or Mm. something more immaterial. Um, Mm. Just like deeply humanizing my range of emotions. Um, Mm. And I think that's been a key piece of how I've been able to kind of enact that idea of increasing the pleasure by 5%. Or even now, like Toomey and I, before we started recording we're laughing about how many beverages we have i currently mm. have a latte a smoothie ashwagandha tea and water with rhodiola in it why do we have so many beverages well because it <laughs> increases my pleasure of 
like being in this moment with Tumi, you know, Tumi mm. has and like <laughs> whatever mm -hmm. other beverages. So I wonder if we can maybe um, kind of find a soft landing place in this idea of just 5% more pleasure, which feels so doable in any moment. Mm. You know? mm. I think that's part of the beauty of that proposition. Yeah, and I, I love the 5% framework because I think sometimes, especially if we're in the healing space, we can like, I need to experience all the pleasure. And it's like, whoa, that's super intense. <laughs> like we can, we can end up trying to push ourselves to places, but yeah. it's like, okay, but could I experience 5% more? Or I'm feeling angry. Could I let myself feel 5% more of this anger? Yeah. I'm feeling grief. Can I feel 5% more of this grief? Like with anything that we are experiencing, because I, I love um, Audre Lorde's uses of the erotic. I'm also in this container with another one of my mentors, Denise Chang, Denise Dimensional on Instagram, who mm. is has this container called Erotic Power. Mm. So wonderful, but it's been introducing me to this to to the erotic in these unexpected places right like in the grief in the rage in the anger in the sadness in the deep feeling like in in emotion moving through our bodies and opening to the erotic is like can i open to five percent more of sensation can i open to five percent more of emotion mm -hmm. um and then often when we can we can find the pleasure in that like oh there's pleasure in this anger mm -hmm. I think my dog's scratching at the door. There's pleasure in this grief. <laughs> Marley's just like, ah, let me in. Um, but there is, you know, we think of, I think we have, um, I was actually having a conversation with a friend about this recently. We have such a narrow range of what we think pleasure can be. And there's such power in saying, can I find, for me, pleasure also to get a bit, you know, existential kinky here, like pleasure and pain are, like perceptions of something that's happening. Mm -hmm. Like we're experiencing it as pleasure, we're experiencing it as pain. And I think existential kink actually expands our capacity to experience everything as pleasure, everything as bliss, everything as like, wait, there's so much, there's God in this, there's divinity in this. And that's what I can connect to. Yeah, and I feel like also in a world where and there's this song that I grew up listening to and like um, uh, it's called Ella's Song by Sweet Honey and the Rocks, wonderful mm -hmm. struggle song, but it says, we who believe in freedom cannot rest until it comes. And recently I was like, excuse me, <laughs> what do you mean? Like, I am going to rest. Like, we will rest as it comes. We will, we're not in this old paradigm of like, we have to like overexert ourselves and tapping into like, okay, 5% more pleasure, 5% more pleasure as I go about my day, as I exist under capitalism, as mm -hmm. I feel my emotions, as I'm here and human, as I feel my toes, as I breathe into my belly, you know, as I touch my legs, 5% more pleasure. Is that possible? Or if it doesn't feel possible, 1% more. Like really, sometimes I take it down to like 0.5%. I'm like, mm -hmm. just an inch more. Um, a tiny, tiny amount more. Yeah. Which does feel very accessible sometimes. No, 100%. And mm. it also just feels like as someone who spent so much of my life, like trying to figure out how to get out of my life, like mm. it feels so welcome to just mm. turn the volume up incrementally like that mm. um yeah i i just really yeah really appreciate and welcome that 
And there's one of my favorite writers, Irsa Daily Ward, talks about mm. how there's this in one of her poems, she's like, um, just do your time here, like do your time on earth and find the things you need to do your time here on earth. And my hope mm. for everyone that's listening is that, you know, spending time in this container with Tumi and I has helped you in some way or given you even one thing to kind of just make your life feel a little more livable and a little mm. more pleasurable and a little more mm. possible. Um, mm. Cause I think that's really ultimately what connects the work that I do and the work that you do in a really seamless mm. way. Mm. And on that note, I'm wondering if you have been thinking at all about what your love ethic is to me, which is how I like to end the episodes and thinking about, um, Again, Bell Hook's idea of love is not only a sentiment, it is an action that we mm -hmm. do over and over again. Um, and I wonder if that concept has ever resonated with you. I feel like there's like a recurring Bell Hooks like that these quotes just like resurface once a year. <laughs> and mm -hmm. I Twitter <laughs> and everywhere. Um, but yeah, I'm wondering if that's a concept that resonates with you. And if so, what you feel like some of the pillars of your love ethic are. Mm. <sighs> I'm like breathing into that one because that one's um, lovely and juicy. And I love Bell Hooks. She, like she's a lot of the reason <laughs> that I started on this journey when I read All About Love in 2018. That was like such a moment yeah. for me. Um, I guess, uh, I think I would sum it up as one thing, which sounds really simple, but it's actually like the work of a lifetime, which is to be yourself. That yeah. for me feels like the most central thing yeah. in my, in, in my love ethic. And mm -hmm. to give context, I was thinking about this with, I have this partner where I just share everything I feel. I'm mm -hmm. like every, every, every judgy thought, every shamey thought, like every, everything I'm like, there it is. Um, and I've realized how strange that feels for me because I'm so used to being like, that's not an appropriate emotion to feel here. Yeah. Jealousy right now, that's not appropriate. Anger right now, that's not appropriate. Like push that down. Mm -hmm. And this maybe feels connected to like, all I want in intimacy is the ability to advocate for myself and like my little, you know, my inner child, like the sweet little to me who's like getting super triggered and feeling lots of feels. Totally. And being able to be myself in that and meet other people as they are in all of their emotions, in all of their quote unquote inappropriate, <laughs> you know, like quote unquote, don't have space here emotions and being like, that has all the space. That is so appropriate. You get to feel how you feel mm -hmm. in a society where we're constantly being like, how much of myself do I actually get to feel? That yeah. for me is the, is the work right now. Yeah. Oh, I yeah. just absolutely love and cherish that. Um, mm. And it feels really deeply aligned with what I'm working on and thinking about as per usual. And mm. I just want to say thank you so much for spending this time with me. You have been such an important part of my life for a long time. And it mm. feels amazing to get to share that with other people who will listen to this. Um, to me, I will link all of their things um, when I post the episode. But if you want to share anything that you would like listeners to kind of like keep an eye out for, if you want to talk about human becoming or your Instagram or the money coven, like 
anything that's jumping out as we kind of wind down this episode yeah thank you for um for giving me that space you can follow me on instagram at the shameless witch the dot shameless dot witch listen to the podcast human becoming podcast it's such a labor of love and i think there's so much richness in there so if that is calling to you or if you're wanting to experience more of me that's a wonderful place to experience that and then on the equinox i'm uh, I'm creating, I've been in the process of creating and birthing this money coven, which is going to be, and it starts on the equinox, which is on the 25th of September, and it's going to be six months of doing the deep healing work and trauma resolution work around money, the deep work of existential kink and connecting with our desires more deeply and learning to remove shame from those desires so that we can get the things that we want in the world. Uh, it's going to be a deep journey of going into our bodies, becoming more embodied and experiencing how the magic that we work in the world is amplified by our embodiment. It's really going to be like everything that I've learned uh, in a six month journey with a bunch of change making badass witches who want to make a difference in the world and want to make money while doing it. So if that sounds good to you, please join <laughs> yeah 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 and thank you for inviting me into the space I love you so much and I just feel so grateful that we get to like be together in this way and then we get to grow together in this way and there's so much that you've inspired me to think about and to deepen into and to tap into and I just feel ah, disgustingly grateful for that connection <laughs> you are truly the absolute best i feel so similarly and yeah y'all keep an eye out for Tumi's work um i really think it could deeply change the way you experience this life um so wishing you all a wonderful day wherever you are and i will see you again in a couple weeks <laughs>